Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the parables of Jesus. A terrific companion to this teaching is Kevin's best-selling book, Mystery Parables of the Kingdom, available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Translations, and listen, this word uh, that's used here, uh, as I've studied this over the years, I would ask myself, Lord, what really is the good ground? What is, what is the good ground? We have the wayside ground, the stony ground, the stony ground. What really is the good ground? And as I compare the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke in King James supplies it, and it's only used once in the New Testament, and I want to take it uh, as, as we understand the word. I'll read some other translations on it in a moment, but verse uh, 15. Luke 8, verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in and who've got all King James and New King James on this. What's the word say? Everybody say it. Honest. Why don't you pick that up here? But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart. Now this is the only gospel to supply that word, but that hit me honestly. In an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. NIV says noble and good heart. New King James says noble and good heart. Uh, the literal concordant translation says a heart ideal and good. Philip says that says a good and honest heart. Amplified says a noble, virtuous and worthy heart. So, uh, so we have the thought of a noble heart, an ideal heart, a good and honest heart, a noble or virtuous and worthy heart. Now, as I've been saying here, the whole of the problem here is the condition of the heart. The soil is the heart. The ground is the heart. Uh, the ground of our heart. And there's so much uh, in the scriptures about the heart condition. The issue is what sort of a, 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 a heart condition do we have? Let me just say something about just the surface meaning of the word honesty. Uh, I believe, you know, we're living in a dishonest generation. And I believe one of the problems we all have, and I have to challenge my own heart on, that we have to be really be honest. And how many, if we're really honest tonight, know that we're not always honest? Well, let's, let's be honest. And there's three areas of honesty uh, that we're going to just throw out in the seed here. First of all, I have to be honest with God. And many times Christians are not honest with God. Many times I think we sing these wonderful choruses, but many times we can sing lies to God. All to Jesus I surrender, we sing it with our lips, but we're not honest to God because there's some unsurrendered areas in our life. Uh, so being really honest to God and coming before the Lord and just being honest. When David was uh, con uh, confronted about his sin and different ones in the Bible, he was just honest. He said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I've sinned. Full stop. No, no shenanigans or, you know, rationalizing, just, yes, Lord, I've sinned. That's it. Honest to God. And then the second area of honesty is really being honest with each other, honest with other people. We know there's so much shadiness in the world today and dishonesty that goes on. And we're talking about an honest and a good heart, so being honest with others. Are we really telling the truth or are we slanderous when we, when we talk about others or criticize things and so forth? Just that little twist there where we're really not honest and transparent with others. That's a really important area. And then, of course, the third area of honesty, I believe, is really being honest with ourselves. Because we can, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. 
we can deceive ourselves and we can deceive other, others. Uh, Self-deception is the worst kind of deception, but really to be honest. And uh, the Lord challenges me on this area and I say, yes, Lord, full stop. I, I blew it there. I bombed out. Lord, forgive me. I, I have to be honest and not come to God with rationalization. So the thing that hit me about Luke's translation is those that bring forth truth in varying degrees, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, are those who have an honest heart, a good and honest heart, noble. And honesty is a noble quality. Good and honest heart, noble, virtuous, and a worthy heart. Why don't you put down Proverbs chapter 4.23 here, Proverbs 4.23, and here the writer to the Proverbs says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so each of these uh, hearers here, they weren't watching the heart. The, the wayside ground here, he wasn't watching the birds. He just let the birds come and pick up the seed out of his heart. The stony ground, he didn't get rid of the stones, stumbling stones and things that cause himself to stumble or others to stumble thorny ground, uh, he heard the word, he received it with joy and so forth, but, but the thorn continually choking the word. But the good ground, the fellow was honest to God and honest with others, honest with himself, and we have these three degrees of truthfulness. Now I just want to throw just a couple of things by way of application. As I said, I'd like to spend the whole evening on this, but I'll just have to uh, hold steady on this. It's interesting that in the good ground here, they bring forth truth in uh, three degrees here, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And in John chapter 15, you needn't turn to it because I want to move on to the next parable here. In John chapter 15, when Jesus is using the illustration of the vine, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he said, I purge you that you'll bring forth fruit. Listen to the language now. Bring forth fruit, and then more fruit, and then much fruit. So we have three degrees of fruitfulness. There's fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And I think it's interesting just to, to, to sort of develop this whole theme of this threefoldness uh, through the scripture. We could uh, just go by way of application here in the resurrection. Uh, Paul talks about uh, three different types of glory. He says uh, there's the glory of the sun, there's the glory of the moon, there's the glory of the stars, and as one star differs from another in glory, so also is the resurrection of the saints. So some saints are going to come up in the glory of the sun. Some will have the glory of the moon, a lesser glory. Some will come up in the glory of the stars. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Uh, who determines the type of glory we come up in the resurrection? Does God or do we? I personally believe we do, not God. The same goal is before us all. But uh, if we want to use this in application, interpretation is degrees of fruitfulness, but application is some Christians are only 30% sold out to the Lord, some 60%, some 100%. I want to be 100% for the Lord, don't you? I believe that impl implicit in this is the degree of our being sold out to the Lord affects the degree of fruitfulness. So if we're only 20% for the Lord or 10% for the Lord, that's going to be the measure of fruitfulness we'll have in our life. We're 100% for the Lord, we'll have 100% of fruitfulness. That's, that's the implications that are here. Let me just give you uh, one other one that I believe uh, is implied here too that we can extend on this whole tree. We, we see Christians today who uh, have accepted the feast of Passover. And there's Christians who have accepted the feast of Pentecost. 
and as Christians who are accepting the Feast of Tabernacles. And many times those who have had the Feast of Passover, they don't want Pentecost and speaking in tongues and all these other things and won't touch Pentecost. Uh, they've had Passover and that's as far as they want to go. They want to get saved. They don't want to be water baptized. They don't want, don't want to be spirit filled uh, and so forth. And then there's those in Pentecost who say, well, I'm Pentecostal and they don't want to go under the Feast of Tabernacles. So they, they, they sort of put themselves in some of these areas. Not because God doesn't have the three feasts open for us all, it's available for all believers, but we determine how far we want to go on with God, don't we? Not God doesn't determine that, we do. And so uh, I, I see what's going to happen uh, in, in the resurrection. There'll be different types of glory, sun, moon, and stars. There'll be those who have experienced Passover uh, in measure, those who have had Pentecost, but those who move on in God. In other words, we can use this illustration here, 30 falls, 60 falls, 100 falls, and so forth. And uh, you see this one other illustration on, on this. Take the whole revelation of the tabernacle of Moses. You have the outer court. And the most people could sit in the outer court. And then you have the holy place, where there are lesser people that could sit in there. And then uh, the significance of the most holy place, only the high priest, head and body, got in there on the great day of atonement. And I think some Christians don't want to get too close to God. They like to be out-of-court Christians, like the praise in the altar, the blood, or maybe touch the water, water baptism, but let's not get too close to God and someone to move into the holy place, a little bit close to the Lord, but to enter within the veil into the full glory of God and all that's implied on the, on the entrance on the great day of atonement and the seven times sprinkling of blood. Oh, I don't want any of that, but and it's like give it to the Jews or dump it in the millennium. So anyway, the whole point of that, without me saying too much of what I have in mind, is that uh, we determine our degree of fruitfulness uh, by having a good and honest heart. I want to be 100% for the Lord, don't you? I want to be honest to God. I want to be honest with you. I want to be honest with myself and have a good and honest heart and bring forth fruit accordingly. Okay, let's turn back to Matthew 13. There's much more to be said on that. But uh, let's watch the condition of our hearts. Watch for the dirty birds. Watch for the stones. Watch for the thorns that would take the word. And be honest to God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. Don't have any part of shadiness uh, in your heart. Just help us to be transparent and bring forth truth unto eternal life. All right, Matthew chapter 13 now. We come to the second parable here. And this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And uh, so we'll pick up from verse 24. Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? From what he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather you first the wheat, into the heavenly garner by a secret rapture. 
Oh, the lighting is really bad up here. I have you laughing with me, not at me. Gather you together to tear. And bind them to ecumenical, uh, pardon me, bind them to bundles. I'm just uh, flipping here a little bit. Is this all right? I bind them in bundles to burn them. I don't even say take them into the millennial kingdom. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, for your notes, you can put down the parable, the second parable is verses 25 through to 30, and Jesus interprets the parable to the disciples in verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. So you'll notice, as we've picked up on previous occasions, he went out of the house and sat by the seaside and gave certain parables to the great multitude, but only interpreted with one. But then he went into the house, verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Jesus, this is more than the Sunday school story. There's more in it than meets the ear. Tell us what the parable of the tares of the field means. Now, just before we continue on here, I said last week, uh, and I have to disagree agreeably with some of the hermeneuticians on this, uh, but just to remind you so you understand why I'm, I'm taking the parables week by week like this, most of the hermeneuticians say, those are the ones who, uh, who believe in principles of interpretation of the word, that uh, all you have to do in, t in uh, looking at the parables of Jesus is just find the main lesson of the parable. You don't worry about the parts. You don't make something out of all the parts. That's uh, getting into uh, heresy and it's taking it, you're getting too far-fetched with it, making something out of every little detail. Don't worry about it. Well, I have to disagree agreeably because Jesus did. And so, as I said, the, the parables are dark sayings, they're not his sayings, they have to be unwound and unraveled. They are mysteries of the kingdom, that which can only be known to the initiators, and they are parables that uh, have to be interpreted. And so, as I use the illustration puzzle, when you're putting the jigsaw puzzle together, you know there's one picture there, but there's a lot of parts to the picture. And so you don't say, oh, well, let's get the main picture out of the picture. Uh, don't worry about the parts of the parable. Throw that part away, throw that part away. You can't make anything out of the parts. Now all the parts have to fit together and you don't force the parts. But as you, as you put the puzzle together, they just, the parts just lock and interlock until you see, wow, that's the whole picture. So we work from part to whole and whole to part. So I'm saying that just for those of you who may have had some hermeneutics and say, well, Kevin, you're just making a lot out of nothing. No, Jesus, I'm, I'm following Jesus on this. Now, let's just look at the parts of the parable before we interpret some of the major things here. That, that clock just seems to go so fast. Now, listen to what Jesus says, okay? These are the parts of the parable, and we're going to try and interpret some of the major parts anyway. The kingdom of heaven is like, it actually resembles, it's similar to, it represents. So the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like to a man. Now, there was a man in the first parable. In parable, a sower went forth to sow. So now we have a man sowing again. So you'll notice what we're going to pick up in the parables here. The first three parables, in fact, the first four parables are sort of a continuation of each other. Parable one has seed in it. 
Parable 2 has seed in it. In fact, it has mixture. And Parable 3 is mustard seed. So seed, seed, seed. I want you to notice the progression that Jesus has here. And uh, when we get to our wrap-up, uh, am I going to be here? I uh, don't think I need that light on. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Can everybody see that better without the light? Okay, thanks. So, so there's a progression here. And when we get to the final thing, I want you to see how these parables actually unfold through church history, right from the first coming of Christ, right down through church history. And, and I'll say this by way of anticipation. We are actually living in the consummation of the seven parables. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll give all that to you later on, but just while it's in my mind. We're living in the consummation of the seven mysteries, the seven parables, and when we bring it right down to the second coming of Christ and see the sevenfold condition of the parables that are, that, that are in Australia and in the world today, you say, God, help me to be in the right parable, please. Everybody said amen? How many understood that? I mean, just say amen because you enjoyed it and didn't understand it. Amen. All right. We trust you will by the time we're through. All right, so the kingdom of heaven is like a man. So we've got a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. A lot of faith that got. When the blade sprung up and brought forth, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said, You said, Good seed in your field, where did the tares come from? And the householder said, The man, the householder, an enemy has done this. And so they said, Will we go and gather the tares up? Let's go and tear out the tares. He said, No, if you tear out the tares, you may root out the tares, you may root out the wheat. So what I want you to do is just let both grow together until a certain time, the harvest. Now, sowing seed in parable one, Sowing seed in parable 2, sowing seed in parable 3, but now we get into harvest. So, sowing is the beginning, harvest is the end. So, the end of the age. The harvest is the end of the age. How many believe we are in the end of the age? That's all six of us. Okay? So, let's rooting out the tears, you root out the wheat, they both go together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, He'll say to the reapers, gather first the tares into bundles, uh, bundles and gather the wheat into my barn. So as I've got on the bottom here, to interpret the parable, we, we must discover the main lesson. And the main lesson of the parable is the mixture that's in the kingdom unto the final separation. The same as the parable of the good and bad fish, the dragnet. Mixture, mixture, mixture in the kingdom and final separation. So to interpret the parable, we must discover the main lesson but we, we, we must work from part to whole and hold apart. It is the message of putting together the jigsaw puzzle. All right, now let's work through some of these things and some I'd like to touch on more than others. And as I said, I'd like to, you know, spend uh, two or three weeks on them to do them properly, but we're trying to condense because there's 66 books we've got to cover yet before Jesus comes. All right, Jesus interprets this parable. Now remember, he interprets parable one first and parable two. He doesn't interpret any of the other parables. He leaves the other five parables uninterpreted. So he hopes that we get some keys of interpreting the first two parables that will help us interpret the uninterpreted parables. So no mistake there, in verse 37, 
when they said, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field, he answered and said unto them, he that sowed the good seed is the son of man. So who is the man here? The son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ. No mistake here. So Jesus is taking the parts of the puzzle, parts of the parable, and he's making something out of every part. Even if the hermeneuticians today are scared to death to, to follow Jesus, I'm not. He's making something out of all the parts. So the sower is the son of man, which sowed good seed. Now, what, what, what is the good seed? In verse 38, he interprets, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. How many are good seeds are here tonight? Now, I want you to remember something I said last week. In the first parable, we receive the seed. In the second parable, we become the seed. Okay, it's really important. We cannot become the seed unless we first receive the seed. So in the first parable, the sister sow, and he sowed the seed on various types of ground. He that received the seed, he that received the seed, he that received the seed, he that received the seed. That expression, receiving seed, receiving seed, receiving seed. So we're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, born of the spirit and so forth, but born of the seed. Uh, he that is born of God cannot sin or does not practice sin habitually because his seed, and the word seed there is sperm, uh, the divine seed, the divine sperm remains in us and we cannot go on practicing sin, living in sin, if the seed is in us. So in the first parable, the whole emphasis is on the sower and the person receiving seed. Now in the second parable, we become the seed. And so my whole point here is we cannot become the seed until we first receive the seed. Now, here's another contrast of the first and second parable. In the first parable, the seed is the word of the kingdom. In the second parable, the seed is the children of the kingdom. Okay, let me say it again for those of you taking notes. So in the first parable, the seed is the word of the kingdom. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so the seed is the word, the word of the kingdom. So first parable, the seed is the word of the kingdom. But in this parable, parable number two, the seed is the children of the kingdom. In the first parable, we receive the seed. In the second parable, we become the seed. And we cannot become the seed until we receive the seed. All right, so that's the thought we have here. Now, we've sowed the good seed in his field. No mistake in the interpretation of this part of the jigsaw puzzle. The field is the... Everybody say it. The field is the world. Whose field is it? It's his field. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is his field. Now keep it in mind because I say we're looking at keys here because later on we're going to find a man who finds a treasure in the field. So the dirty birds are the same all the way through. The field is the same all the way through. We've got to follow this. At least if we're wrong, we're consistently wrong. But how many believe we're being consistently right? So there's a field in the, for the treasure, but there's a field here. It's his field. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's his field. Okay, so the field is the world. The good seed, uh, we've just read that, are the children of the kingdom. How many are good seed tonight? Why don't we have an order call? A lot of you aren't even saved. How many have received the seed? Better. All right, now how many have become the seed? Okay, so this is what happened in the early church. See, in the Gospels, they received the seed. In the book of Acts, they become the seed. But the danger was, as the prophet says, is the seed yet in the barn? And what they wanted to do in Jerusalem was keep the seed in the barn. 
and said, you know the old song, God does not compel us to go against our will, he just makes us willing to go. So uh, he, he sent a little bit of persecution along to the church at Jerusalem and it says, they that were scattered abroad everywhere and when, when the devil scattered the believers, God scattered the seed. So in the Gospels we become the seed and then in the Gospels we feed the seed. In the book of Acts we become the seed. So God scattered the believers. Uh, how many think that God may scatter some of you from wavers? Kick you out of the barn. It's lovely and comfortable in the barn here, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. I don't want God to send persecution to Waverley. But if he scatters, you go willingly so we don't have to sort of... <laughs> Let's get back to the Bible. <laughs> All right, so in his field, so good seed, the good seed of the children of the kingdom. Now, but while men slept, and the tragedy of this is that church history reveals that ministries have slept. We could di digress on this. But think of the wise and foolish virgins, they all slumbered and slept. Think of the warnings in, in, uh, by Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James and John. Uh, they slept when the two witnesses were there, Moses and Elijah in the glory of God. They were fast asleep. Wow, I wouldn't like to miss the two witnesses for the glory of God. And so Jesus woke them out of their sleep. And then Gethsemane, how many know that Gethsemane prayer meeting is a wonderful place to sleep? How many of you know that every time you go to a prayer meeting to pray, the devil comes to pray? While the saints pray, the devil prays. P-R-A-Y, you should be doing, not P-R-E-Y, what the devil's doing. So the devil prays while the saints pray. Is that right? And he comes around with the sandman. I always feel sleepy in a prayer meeting. Anybody else like that? Come on, tell, be honest. We're talking about honest ground here. You lying spirit, tell us the truth. Okay. Yeah. So that's why it's good to walk up and down, you know. And, yeah, hallelujah, Jesus. And walk up and down in his name. Keep yourself awake. Keep the sandman awake. The devil. Hallelujah. So men slept. The sleeping of ministries. Sleeping of ministries today in the church while the enemy comes in and sows tears among the believers, corrupts the church. I want us to be awake. I want the eldership to be awake. I want the leadership in this church, life care group leaders, I want everybody to, uh, to be awake. Amen? Because if we get to sleep, the enemy will come in and sow tears amongst us. And uh, I won't get too sidetracked on this, but it's very interesting what's happening not only in Australia but in America, where, where there's infiltration of churches. Tears coming in and being sown among the believers and seducing ministry, purposely sent there to divide churches, split churches, collapse churches. And while men sleep, the enemy comes. All right, next one, very clear. I want to spend some time and we're going to have to pick it up next week quite evidently. His enemy came. Who's the enemy? No mistake there. The enemy that showed them is the devil. 
his enemy. The devil is our enemy. The devil is the enemy of Jesus Christ. He hates the seed. He hates the seed of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom. He hates the Son of Man. He hates the church. So, saints, we have to uh, uh, just settle for putting it very astray, and the devil hates our guts. And when you get saved, he says to his demon, after them. I've lost one of my kids out of my kingdom. You see, when we come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the devil's not happy about it at all. So he is our enemy. Okay? Don't ever fall in love with the devil. Don't pray for the devil to be saved like some people are doing. Yeah? They think if they get him saved, everybody else will automatically. Yeah? Well, the Bible says he's doomed for the lake of fire. And the sooner the better. He's going to have a thousand years honeymoon in the bottom of the pit first of all. Then after he's had that for a thousand years, he's going to the lake of fire. Yeah? Everybody said hallelujah. Yeah. And the sooner the better. Yeah. So he's our enemy. He hates the church, not our friends. So his enemy, he hates Jesus Christ. So his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat. And uh, we'll hold that a moment because I want to talk about the tares and the good seed. He went his way. How many know that uh, not only the, does the Lord sow good seed, the devil sows seed. So now we have two seed lines here, two seed lines. Why don't you go back? Oh, our time's up, isn't it? Time's up. Yeah, once you hear them, mothers have to pick their children up. Uh, come back next week for this exciting episode. We'll just have to do it. Okay, I'll just finish with this, that when he, went, he, when he sowed the seed, the devil has faith in the seed he has sown. He knows that that seed has the potential for all the damage he wants it to do. But the Lord has faith in the good seed too. So we've got two seed lines here. Now, don't you, between now and next week, Try and figure out uh, who are the tares. Are they unbelievers or believers? There's going to be some very interesting stuff on the tear. Come back next week for this exciting episode. Have you understood these things so far? Let's all stand. Let's just bow in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege we have of just drawing aside from just the, the whole business of living and this uh, world, your field. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, not just be information to our mind, but formation of our hearts. And Lord, that you'll help us all, even after tonight, Lord, to seek to have a good and an honest heart. Help us to really be transparent and honest, Lord. And Lord, uh, no shadiness. May we be honest with ourselves and honest with you and honest with each other. And Lord, uh, so we can bring forth fruit. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that we've not only received the seed, but we are the seed. We're good seed, Lord. You've shown us in, in the field of the world to bring forth fruit. Help us to be conscious of the enemy as he knows that we are living in the harvest time, the end of the age, and he knows he has but a short time and that he would seek to corrupt the good seed Oh God, deliver us from corruption. Help us to guard our hearts, Father, from the dirty birds and from the thorns and from the stones. Help us to be good and honest and noble and virtuous. 
Let the seed of the word that we receive tonight fall upon the good ground of our hearts and bring forth fruit unto your glory. May we be 100% for the Lord. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Cover the seed in our hearts so that the birds don't pick it up as we leave tonight. Bless us as we gather on the weekend. Bless Brother David Cartlidge as he comes amongst us and the deposit that you place within him. Lord, we're open to the ministries that you send amongst us, Father. We give you all the praise in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Shake hands with each other. God bless you. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.